Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time zone you're listening in, uh, what or from, and wherever you're listening from, uh, welcome to the Sheridan Show. I'm very pleased to be uh, joined by a guy I covered for a long time with the New York Knicks, uh, and also uh, in some uh, lockout negotiations uh, when he was with the National Basketball Players Association as an executive vice president. Welcome to the show, Charles Smith. Um, good to speak to you again, Charles. Chris, Chris, it's been a while. Good to speak to you as well. Um, uh, I've kept in touch with you as well with uh, the writings and things you've done over the years. Uh, yeah, we have a, a long-standing history here, Chris, so it's good to talk to you again. Uh, you as well. Uh, let's get right into the upcoming season, uh, Charles. And, you know, the story that continues to evolve on a daily basis is James Harden's uh, holdout that is no longer a holdout in Houston, but he's in the he's in a six day COVID testing protocol. He wants to be traded. Uh, the names that everybody are hearing are the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. But when you got a player that's led the NBA in scoring for the last two years, there's probably about 25, 26 teams that are interested in him. So what's your take on that situation, Charles? Uh, who has the leverage and where do you see this thing going in the short and in the long term future? Well, in the uh, in the short term, you have a situation where uh, James Harden uh, apparently doesn't have much leverage other than the fact that um, he wants out and he has two years remaining on his contract. Uh, he can ask, he can be disgruntled um, and try to do whatever he can to force them to trade him uh, from a management perspective. Uh, they can look at it as they're not going to trade him unless they get the value that they feel they deserve for him if, in fact, they agree to trade him. But the bottom line is you've seen this type of situations for years in the NBA. And at the end of the day, James Harden is a professional. Uh, he'll eventually have to play unless they move him you know, before the season, the, the regular season starts. Um, and he'll be the ultimate professional. He'll go on the floor and he'll be the James Harden we all know him to be. And he will play. He will play hard and he will do whatever it takes uh, for his team to win. And they'll deal with the situation behind closed doors. But uh, it's a tough situation. Uh, both sides have some decisions to make. But if nothing happens, James will play and he'll play well. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. He's definitely going to sit out this weekend's back to back against uh, uh, in Chicago against the Bulls. Uh, but opening day now is only ten days away, as we tape here on December twelfth. Um, and gun to your head, uh, opening night is James Harden with the Rockets, or is he playing somewhere else, Charles? You know, um, I've been only hearing and uh, in, in reading what's out there, um, but. I think I would say that they would probably move him. Um, uh, they would move him only, again, if they can get the value that they want. They're, they'll try. They'll have conversations uh, because having a disgruntled player like that on your ball club can be very disruptive to the team and uh, their ability to be competitive and try to go for a championship. So you don't want that. So I think they'll try to move him, and they will move him if they get the value that they want. Well, one of the teams that's been talked about as a as a possible destination is the Philadelphia 76ers. 
Uh, they got a, a, a new coach in, in Doc Rivers, a guy you played with and were actually traded with uh, back in the day uh, in, a, in a Nick Spurs trade. Um, but uh, how do you think Doc is going to uh, – what kind of um, situations will Doc be confronted with in Philadelphia coaching a team that has uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? They've, they've added Dwight Howard and Seth Curry. Um, and they, they've gotten off from Brett Brown, uh, but it's a team that's not been able to get it done in the playoffs year after year after year. And one of the reasons it's often cited is the maturity issues with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. What does Doc Rivers bring to the table there that maybe Brett Brown didn't? Well, you know, I played with Doc in, um, in the LA Clippers. Uh, we played together in New York and we played together in San Antonio. Um, Doc has always been very thoughtful. Uh, he has a high sense of emotional intelligence. And when we were players, he was always the type of individual that he was already a coach. So the immaturity level with the 76ers, um, I can see Doc, you know, sitting those guys down, uh, laying out expectations and holding them accountable. Now, in the initial phases of that being executed, there's going to be some slippage. And guys are going to be do what they've done in the past and show signs of, as we say, immaturity. And he's going to turn the screws and hold them accountable even further. Um, and I think Doc will kind of stand his ground and continue to have the expectations met by the uh, players on the team. Um, and he's going to have to have some uh, strength um, supporting him in the locker room when he's not there, like a Tobias Harris. Uh, uh, he's going to have to, you know, obviously get Ben Simmons to uh, agree to his uh, philosophy and, and his execution. So I think he will manage it very well. Uh, to say it's going to be easy, uh, that's not happening. He's got his work cut out for him, but he's built for that. He's, he's been an all-star. He's been a player. He's been a championship coach. He's got all the pedigrees dealt with so many different players. He's got all the pedigree to make it happen, and uh, I think he'll turn it around. And you, you mentioned playing with Doc on the uh, on the San Antonio Spurs. You played for uh, a guy who's going to definitely go into the Hall of Fame, uh, Greg Popovich. What do you kind of uh, most fondly recall about Pop's kind of personality and coaching style? You know, I was a lot younger, and I didn't appreciate what I had in Greg Popovich, when I look at, you know, all the coaches that I uh, played for. Um, when I was there, I was uh, injured a lot. I was, you know, steadily declining. But Greg Popovich was the type of coach that um, allowed you to be yourself. Um, as long as you were a professional and as long as you performed and did what you were supposed to do on the floor, there was no issues whatsoever. Um, he kept it light. Um, the game wasn't meant to be that serious from his perspective. Uh, the only thing that was, a, was serious is your performance. Everything else, hey, it's not the end of the world. This is not life and death situation. Uh, it's still a game, but we're professionals within the confines of a game. And so uh, playing for him and just being around him on and off the court, pure pleasure, educational experience. If there were a guy who could be the CEO of a major corporation, 
and have it flourish, it would be a, uh, that type of person would be Greg Popovich. He's Charles Smith. He had a distinguished playing career with the Los Angeles Clippers, the, the San Antonio Spurs, and the New York Knicks. And uh, let's touch on one of those teams, Charles, the, the Knicks. Uh, certainly another rebuilding year. I think they had a very good draft, getting Emmanuel quickly, the, uh, the SEC player of the year out of, the, uh, out of Kentucky, although he, he joins a, a, a roster that's just really packed with point guards. And they got Obi Toppin from, from Dayton, uh, the consensus college player of the year. Um, and they got to mix these guys in with, with a guy like Julius Randle and a second-year player like R.J. Barrett, who, who struggled in his first exhibition game last night. He missed all four of his three-point attempts. What do you make of the Knicks these days, Charles? Um, you know, it, it's, it doesn't take a, a rocket science to understand, scientists to understand that they are rebuilding. And uh, it appears that um, Leon Rose uh, um, is doing a, a very good job uh, patiently rebuilding, not making any um, uh, moves that are outlandish, uh, kind of going about it very methodically. Uh, they got the right coach in Thibodeau. Uh, as far as the players, they have, they don't, I don't believe they have a full character of a team yet. They have a lot of different players that do different things and their roles are still being defined. Uh, Thibodeau's still trying to understand he's gone through, you know, training camp. He knows what he has and things are going to begin to sort themselves out as the players continue to compete in practice and play in these exhibition games, but they're in need of an identity. Um, and they're going to have to get that and they're going to have to get it off of, uh, you know, two to three players that become very consistent for them. Um, so they got their work cut out for them. But I like what's happening right now because, again, they're doing it in a very methodical way, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, Tibbs split up the minutes real evenly last night. He started Julius Randle, Derlins Noel, Alfred Payton, Alec Burks, and R.J. Barrett. And Barrett did have, have uh, 15 points in 29 minutes. Uh, Toppin had 11 and 7 in 20 minutes and, and, and looked all right. And, hey, the Knicks won, they beat, but they beat the Detroit Pistons, who – they're going to be contending with for, for worst team in the league. But let's look at the other side across the East River, um, uh, a heck of a different team in the Brooklyn Nets. Um, they're going to be playing this year with, uh, finally, uh, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Uh, and barring a trade uh, for, for James Harden, they're also going to have a heck of a supporting cast in Jared Allen, Karis LeVert. Uh, they're too deep at every position. DeAndre Jordan backs up at center. Joe Harris was kept as a free agent, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. They added Jeff Green. Um, where's the ceiling for this team, uh, 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 Charles? Is a championship the ceiling, or is it just winning the Eastern Conference or making the Eastern Conference finals? Well, you know, on paper, they're, they're the Eastern Conference champs. Um, they still need to gel and go out and produce. Um, they, they have all the talent in the world, like you just mentioned. They have a superb supporting cast um that supporting cast got a lot of um playing time uh last season and the season before uh it's a nucleus that they've been able to maintain with joe harris and and lavert and allen and adding jeff green so they have a very they have a tremendous team that can compete 
uh, for the championship. Um, I'm interested, like everyone else, is to see how they gel together uh, with the new coaching staff that they have. Um, they have some talented coaches. Great move uh, um, by the organization to bring in Nash and the uh, uh, and Nash's move to bring in the assistant coaches. Uh, so they have a lot of excitement. They have a lot of stories. Um, they're going to be fun to watch, but being a former player and sure, Chris, you being a writer, you're going to look at the details, how they're working together and how sustainable it will, it will be. Uh, what do you make? I'm, I'm going to stick with the Nets and, and versus the Knicks as well, but I want to hit on something that's been in the news recently. Kyrie Irving, um, doesn't want to cooperate with the, the mainstream media this season. Uh, he, he has put out a couple statements on, on Instagram. Uh, he's clashed with the media in Cleveland. He's clashed with the media in Boston. Um, he hasn't really clashed with the media in New York because he hasn't made himself all that much available. It was, it was real on and off last year. He was kind of hit, hit or miss in the Brooklyn Nets locker room. But what do you make of a player saying, um, you know, I'm just not going to talk to the media this year. And he took a $25,000 fine, but that's not a, that's not a lot of money for a guy who's making 30, 30 some million. Um, just what's your take on that whole situation? Well, you know, I, I've known uh, Kyrie since he was in high school. Um, uh, Kyrie is a very bright, smart young man. Um, you know, there's one thing that I've learned um, since playing basketball and transitioning into uh, corporate is the language that you learn in basketball is speaking in sound bites um, because that's a, that's a language you learn uh, because during timeouts, during practices, during your teammates, everything is impactful and you speak not as a prelude to what you're going to say. You hit somebody directly between the eyes in conversation and you lay out just the facts. Kyrie's getting mistaken um, with regards to him as a person because he speaks in those sound bites and doesn't back up the data behind those sound bites. And I watch him and I'm like, and I know him. So I know he's not the way he's being portrayed, but I understand when he makes certain statements and he doesn't uh, establish the framework around those statements or give all the why he thinks that way and why he's saying those things, it rubs people the wrong way, naturally so. When he says, I don't want to speak to the media, uh, and you hear that, but I haven't seen a lot of details on why he doesn't want to speak to the media. So it's left to us to understand, oh, he's had some problems with the media in the past. He wants to start fresh and new in New York. He's not going to say anything, so he doesn't have any more issues. Well, you can't do that. I think it's more of a communication style because, again, I'm speaking personally because I know him. And that's not how he's portrayed, but I see how it's happening. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. He's definitely a very strong personality, uh, you know, a heck of a ball player. He, 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 you know, he hit a game, a championship winning shot when he was playing with, uh, with LeBron in Cleveland. But he's also been a very polarizing player during his time in Cleveland and Boston. And yeah. uh, that hasn't really happened yet in Brooklyn, but we'll see how this, this uh, season evolves. But, you know, Charles, you mentioned you're in the corporate world. You've uh, you've been in uh, uh, you were the 
recently with the Midas Exchange buying and uh, and selling underperforming assets, looking at new business opportunities. Uh, you, you transitioned from from basketball player to uh, to corporate executive uh, and and been out here in the New York area. So the question is this: New York a Knicks fa- a town or is it a Nets town? Uh, New York is still a Knicks town, um, you know, but clearly, clearly um, Brooklyn has been doing a great job uh, marketing the team, pulling in the right players as the Knicks have been declining, being able to pull in the right players and having something to market. Uh, so uh, the tides are, 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 are shifting a little bit, but it's still a New York Knicks town because of the history of the Knicks in New York City. So you have a lot of Knicks faithful out there, that blue and orange that have been uh, living the, the, the Knicks tale their entire lives. They have not been living the Nets tale from New Jersey into Brooklyn. But the fact that you have notable players like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you know, people are beginning to reconsider and think, but it's still a Knicks town. And uh, Charles, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question, and I've asked it to you before. Why'd you miss those three layups against the Bulls in that war? <laughs> You're going to ask me that. You know what, Chris? Uh, you know, um, I, I guess I should be uh, happy that people still have at least something to talk to me about. I haven't gone in obscurity with, with uh, um, not being associated with the game. But, you know, I, I don't talk about it too much. Uh, if a fan wants to talk about it, I'll talk to him about it. No big deal. It doesn't bother me um, to that extent. But, yeah, I, I did get fouled, and I, I said that. You know, the funny story behind that is the following summer, uh, we had our uh, collective bargaining agreements in Chicago. So all the players uh, came to the meetings and uh, Scotty comes up to me and uh, I go put my hand out to, you know, dap him up and shake his hand. He grabs my elbow and my forearm with both of his hands like, yo, what's up, man? How you doing? And starts laughing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I laughed with him. Uh, didn't feel too good, but I laughed with him. But, you know, uh, Times like that, you're always tested in life. You win some, you lose some. Um, you're involved in so many situations throughout your life where, um, you know, things don't go your way and you have to deal with them. That was one gut-wrenching ordeal in my life that I had to deal with. It did not go my way and there's nothing you can do about it, but but move on like I did and, 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 and rest with the fact that, hey, I tried my best. I came back game six. Played extremely well. Uh, we lost game six in Chicago. My stat line, I think I was one of the leading scorers, the second leading scorer in the game. I rebounded well. And I think if I didn't have a game six, it would bother me a little more. But I got the opportunity to bounce back and play the next game and play well. Yeah, well, the big forgotten fact from that game is that the Knicks missed about half their free throws in that game. And it, would have, it shouldn't have come down to, to you getting fouled and the, and the refs swallowing their whistles. but. That's not the first time nor the last time we will see referees exactly. follow their their whistles. Uh, let's let's switch coasts now, though, and 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 uh, talk about Los Angeles, which is always going to be a Lakers town. Uh, Lakers are the defending champs, and they got better. Um, they got Montrez Harrell, and they got Marcus Gasol uh, at center to replace Dwight Howard. Um, they got Wes Matthews from Milwaukee. Um, 
and uh, uh, he's going to replace Avery Bradley. And they, and then the big one is Dennis Schroeder coming in from from uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, he'll somewhat replace Rajon Rondo, but it, he's kind of also going to replace LeBron James uh, as the primary ball handler. LeBron led the league in assists last year. You, do you see Schroeder taking over uh, that role from LeBron? To, and to what degree? You know, to, to um, answer that, I see Schroeder definitely taking over that role as long as Schroeder is able to be successful in that role. Um, uh, I think LeBron has been smart about it. He's talked about it. The Lakers have talked about it. You know, he's aging. It doesn't seem like he's aging with the numbers and stats that he's putting up, but 18 years is 18 years. And if they can, you know, preserve him and have him play, you know, off the ball a little more. Um, And, you know, if it came down to the playoffs and they're back in it, you know, LeBron's going to pick up the ball and he's going to, you know, force and impose his will through the playoffs and he'll control the ball may go back to, you know, him being at the point. But during the season, I think Schroeder's going to alleviate him having to, you know, tally as much minutes. They have a great ball club. Uh, They definitely stack their ball club. I think they're better this year, obviously, than they were last year. Uh, They're the favorite to win it all. And with those pieces, LeBron should be able to rest more. I don't disagree with any of that. Uh, who do you see as the biggest threat to the to the Lakers in the West? You know, don't count out Portland. Um, you know, I got my, you know, I'm keeping an eye on the Clippers now that they signed, you know, Paul and they got Kawhi back. And um, uh, they're, still a, they're still a very good team. Um, but don't count out Portland. Um, they got two bigs, um, um, enunciation of the gentleman's last name for Europe, Nick, Nikosh, what is his? Uh, Nurkic, Nurkic. Nark- Nurkic, right, Nurkic, Nurkic and Cantor. Nurkic and Cantor. You know, those are two solid bigs. You know, we all know Portland's got guard play and they got shooters. They got, you know, Melo can still knock down the three. They got the great guard combination. Um they're a team to be reckoned with and they got a chip on their shoulder big time. So, you know, do not discount them. I wouldn't consider them a sleeper. I can uh, look at Portland as a real contender. So that's a team that the, you know, Lakers need to look out for. Yeah. I watched them last night. They were the late game on, on ESPN. And the move I really like that they made is bringing in Robert Covington uh, just a huge three and D guy. I covered him a lot with the Sixers when he was playing for Philadelphia. Very, very popular guy in the locker room. Him and JJ Reddick kind of kept the kids on, uh, in line back when they were both Sixers. And then Roberts moved around a little bit, but, uh, he's a heck of an addition to that team. Um, and Enos Cantor was a, was a good pickup member in the playoffs last year. Every time the Celtics put Cantor into the game, good things happened. They, uh, I don't think Brad Stevens used him enough. So, I, I don't disagree with you there either uh, as far as Portland goes. They put up 127 last night on on Sacramento. Granted, it's the first exhibition game of what's going to be hopefully a, a long season, but they look damn good. Um, Charles, the, the NBA is going to try to play 72 games in a pandemic, and they're not, they don't have the safety 
of the bubble anymore that they had in, in Orlando. You know, when they're playing in the bubble, um, they, they knew everybody was COVID free because uh, that's the way the bubble was designed. But now they're playing 72 games. They're traveling on airplanes again. They're staying in hotels again. They're getting from the, uh, the hotel to the arena in a bus. Um, how do you think that's uh, – what kind of logistical challenges uh, do you think that's going to uh, present? And, and how do you uh, – what's your understanding of how the, the league and the Players Association is sort of uh, uh, contingency planning on this? Well, you just said it. Um you know, in, in lieu of the uh, pandemic, now you're talking about moving from a uh, controlled, self-contained environment back on the road, traveling, hotels, arenas, buses, uh, and different types of transportation. That, to me, dealing with the pandemic is a logistical nightmare. I can, you know, just see, you know, what that whiteboard looks like and looking at every potential possibility and breaking down every segment of travel and looking at all the different possibilities within that those segments on how to secure the health and well-being of the players um it's not that it cannot be done but you you gotta know that they're working around the clock covering so many details, so many details uh, to make this work. Now, this is not out of the realm for the you know, NBA and for the uh, uh, players union. It's not out of the realm uh, of them being able to accomplish it. Um, they're going to have to have the cooperation with the players based on the you know, rules and regulations they put in place to make it work. So, from a self-contained environment to back to traveling and some type of normalcy, uh, it's going to take a lot of effort of all parties involved to make it work. And of course, nothing goes perfectly. So there will be some slippage and they'll deal with it. And I'm sure they've gone over uh, the different details of what could and, and, and what may happen. Um, so, you know, you got to give both the union and the league um, uh, the the necessary uh, praise and the the you know their ability to achieve this to get to a seventy two game season because I know this was a daunting task and they're gonna have to they're gonna really have to do some thinking on their feet but that's that really comes naturally to basketball players uh, in a game. You got to think on your feet. You got to make the necessary adjustments. Right, the game uh, progresses. Uh, but you know, in terms of uh, working it out between the the union and the owners, you bring kind of a unique perspective, Charles, because uh, you served under Buck Williams as the executive vice president of the players union. You've been in the room negotiating with David Stern and with Adam Silver. Uh, what kind of insight can you give us into Adam uh, and what type of a person he is and how he might be working right now with the uh, MBPA director, uh, Michelle Roberts? Well, you know, I, I, I served as first vice president under, you know, uh, Patrick Ewing and Buck, and I was there with, you know, Isaiah Thomas. So I, I had a lot of history there uh, with the uh, players union, um, you know, from a historical perspective, 
there's always been tension uh, between the union and the league. And that tension always evolved uh, the economics of the deal and the execution of those economics. Um, it's, and that's, you know, always been with David Stern and we, and there were other predecessors to uh, Michelle Roberts. But now, um, and this is from me, from the kind of the outside looking in, you see a different types, a different type of dynamic. Um, there's more of a harmonious working relationship uh, with Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts. You see it from a distance because things that in the past, from a historical perspective, that may have taken longer, uh, that may have been played out more in the press, uh, in the media, has not happened uh, under uh, since Adam has been in that seat. Um, so you see that um, they're, they're working together, uh, going through that process with the, 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 the teams and the league playing in the bubble. That was a challenging effort on both sides. They got through that. Uh, they got through that with dealing with all the social injustice. Um, they managed that the best way they can, and they both sides did a great job. So uh, I think in moving forward with the 72-game season and everything that they're doing, they're, both sides are working a lot better, and they're providing uh, what the fans want in the midst of this pandemic. And, uh, Charles, you were <laughs> you were traded with Monty Williams uh, back in 1996 to the San Antonio Spurs for uh, Brad Lowhouse and J.R. Reed in a first-round pick. Uh, Monty's still in the league coaching, and he's got Chris Paul on his team this year. How do you see the uh, Chris Paul in Phoenix dynamic working out? Well, you know, if, if you, you know, watched how Phoenix played in the bubble, uh, yeah, they didn't make the playoffs, but they did very well. I think they, you know, they went undefeated. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, Phoenix, I think, is modeling their uh, efforts similar to Golden State. Uh, they're doing a little bit more small ball. And what to, what better guards – uh, similar to Porton, do you want in having, uh, you know, Chris Paul at the helm um, uh, there in Phoenix? Uh, their team is is very explosive. Um, they're, they're great scorers. Um, they get up and down the floor. Uh, they're going to be very exciting to watch. So uh, just looking at what they're doing, and again, you got a coach like Monty. Monty really cares about the player's well-being, uh, and he knows how to articulate the professionalism that he needs from them. Uh, he knows when to push and when to pull the reins back. So they're going to be very exciting to watch uh, this season. I'm eager to see what they look like. And last <clears throat> last question, and this one uh, you're going to have to think on your feet like we were just talking about. Who's your most improved player this year? Cool. Oh. Um, wow. Um, I'm, I, I don't know, Chris. Um, I always, when I, when I see, when I, when I like to talk or see a, uh, the most improved player, I'm always looking at, um, you know, that guy who is starting for the first time, um, uh, that guy who started and is now becoming an all-star, um, you know, and, and when you look across the league, 
you know, you, you're always going to look at that six man and, uh, you know, Lou Williams and Trez. Uh, you, you're always going to look at, you know, you look at Schroeder. He's had a good year, you know, last year. Uh, and now he's with the Lakers. And if he's handling the ball more, he has an opportunity because he's on a championship team to be looked at as a, a most improved player. You got Kyle Kuzma, who, again, with the championship team, did fairly well last year, but everyone knows that he has so much more talent. He may break out and become a most improved player. So, you know, um, I, I just don't have a clear cut answer, but I will be looking to see uh, as the season starts, who has that best shot to be most improved. Hey, right now the sports books list, <clears throat> the, the, the favorite is Shea Gilgis Alexander. who's going to see a lot more uh, playing time opportunity in, in Oklahoma city. Uh, Charles, I want to thank you for joining us again. He's Charles Smith. He's a, a corporate executive right now making money hand over fist because he's very good at what he does. Uh, he was an excellent basketball player, and it was uh, a pleasure to cover. Charles, I want to thank you for being on the Sheridan Show. Um, it's presented by Basketball News. Folks, if you haven't seen the site yet, check it out. Uh, we got a lot of former players uh, on staff. Kenya Martin. Uh, is doing just a fantastic job uh, with his podcast. Uh, it it brings a lot of levity to some tough times, especially with what everybody's suffering through in the pandemic. And Alex Kennedy does a terrific job running the site. Um, so, uh, you know, check out basketballnews.com and tell your friends about it. You can follow me on Twitter at Sheridan Hoops, and <clears throat> Charles will have some uh, news ahead of his own in the, in the days ahead, and I'm not going to spoil anything for him. But, Charles, I want to – Thank you again for coming on the program and, and bringing your insight and your historical perspective. Much appreciated. Great connecting with you again, Chris. You take care of yourself and look forward to uh, keeping in touch. Uh, we always will. All right. That's an over and out. Thanks very much, folks. We'll talk to you next time.